Today's episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Today's episode is brought to you by Fox and Stallion. Fox and Stallion is a Victorian mystery comedy fiction podcast about the best detective team on Baker Street. No, not that one. Season 2 will be airing in 2024 and is currently crowdfunding through May 1st. They have stickers, personalized in-universe thank you letters with wax seal, calligraphy, and all of it, and even a tier where they solve a mystery that you send them. They do want me to note Fox and Stallion cannot guarantee the solving of any mysteries, but they will try their absolute hardest for three to five audio minutes. This show also has everything you could want. Jewel heists, asexual detectives, lavender marriages, and a really old cat. You can find and listen to Fox and Stallion anywhere you listen to podcasts or on their website, 224bbaker.com. That's 224bbaker.com. Oh, hi. We're ready? We're rolling. Okay, great. Hello, Jeffrey. Hello, Eleanor. Uh, we're back. We're going to answer some more listener questions. Let's do it. Um, before we jump right in, I'm going to give the same spoiler alert as we did on our last one of these, which is, y'all, we're very excited to talk about the whole show now that it's over. So this is going to be a spoiler-filled conversation. Yes. To the point of, like, maybe sharing some stuff that... We really only, like, just barely put in the show. (laughs) Uh, So if you have not finished listening to season five, stop now. Turn back. (laughs) Pull a U-turn. And also a a shorter version of the the thing we wandered around last time. Uh, None of this is prescriptive. Oh, yeah. If something we say, like, this is how we understood the show. And now that we've finished it, our perspective is equal to any other listener. Um, so, uh, please feel free to let this certainly deeper your engagement with the show and the ideas, but, um, yeah, if, if you've got some idea that contradicts yeah, or... Yeah, that's cool. Whatever. Yeah. We don't mind. <laughs> uh, this story is told in collaboration with yeah. you. Yeah. All right. So first up, Jeffrey, this mm-hmm. is really a question I would like to direct to you. Duo asks, okay, but... Where would you actually place Mount Absalom on the map of Ohio? That's a really good question. So I know you have a specific <clears throat> answer. <laughs> yeah. We always said uh, Southern Ohio. Um, and uh, that's for a number of reasons. Uh, I think a big part of it is that we wanted to get into the slightly more like rolling hills. Um, you know, less just completely flat. Um, and also 
if I'm remembering right, that's also where uh, Ohio's primary celery crop is. Uh, we did not... We, I don't think we knew that ahead of time. No, 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 no. <laughs> well, no, we definitely didn't know that ahead of time. We, but I do think that um, we picked celery before we picked Southern Ohio. Um, as really? I Yes, as I remember. So... I, I think celery was just like a weird internal joke. And it, we got lucky that it happened to be a crop they grew in Ohio. Oh, no, no. That was Jess Best's research. Uh, she, she looked up, uh, or Jim, one of the two, looked up what crops. I am yeah, absolutely sure Yeah, I think sure we're this. remembering the same <laughs> story in the different directions. Uh, that's fair. Because that's what fair. I remember is someone was like, this is a funny joke about Foley and old-timey radio. And then someone did the research and was like, guys, guess what? Oh. Just so happens, we got lucky and it also grows in Ohio. <laughs> that's, that's fascinating. And you know what? Um, that, Either one could be true. <laughs> well, and and hey, this is literally what a lot of unwell is about. Yeah, yep, yep. <laughs> Your memory uh, is not a reliable narrator. Fallibility of memory. Um, but Jeffrey, I also feel like uh, you have often talked about how you went to college in Southern Ohio. So, so I went. I went to school in Central Ohio. But like, there um, have been moments where we've been like, "How far away is Mount Absalom from Rochester, New York?" Yeah. And the way we have answered that question is to put your college town uh-huh. in the Google Maps and gone, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, close enough." Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. So to be fair, I think that's also worth sharing. Yeah, yeah. So, so certainly a lot of the cultural and uh, such inspiration for me comes from Central Ohio. Um, uh, I lived in Knox County, both in in kind of Gambier, and then spent a lot of time in Mount Vernon, um, both during and and after school, and so uh, a lot of the inspiration comes from that area. Yeah, um, and yeah, and it, in moments where it was like. Uh, you know, dot just somebody just drove from this mm-hmm. place on the other side of the country. How far is that actually? Yeah, yeah, or like, yeah, you know, Spikes lives in in Indianapolis. How mm-hmm. far away is that? Like, yeah. yeah. Well, and notably, I think you know, um, if you're triangulating um, Cleveland, Columbus, Cincinnati, it is closer to Cincinnati. Yeah, um, I think that's where we put Spikes' parents, um, and kind of wanted to be like, okay, that's the that's the nearest big city where it like it is a trip. Yeah. But it's yeah. also like it's a trip you can make before your parents realize you're gone <laughs> on a bus, right, right. you know? <laughs> okay. I'm gonna group together two questions that are sort of on the theme of like favorite characters and moments. Um, but I'm gonna read both of them because they're they're phrased a little differently. I think they're both interesting and then we can just talk about stuff. So um Ash asked. Uh, the characters on Unwell are so wonderfully complex, human, and lovable. Thank you. Uh, listening to the show feels like spending time with good friends. Were there any specific moments in the show that really made you fall in love with your characters? And Vincent asked, um, was there a moment in the process that gave you goosebumps? The kind of creative shiver that's in awe of how great it was in that moment. Mm. This show has been such a big part of my life over mm-hmm. the last five, six years. Um, five years was on the air. We really developed it for a good like year and a half before it came. Mm-hmm. So it's like six, six or seven, seven yeah. years almost. Yeah. I've been working on it, and it's been such a huge part of my life. And also, like any human being, I have grown and changed a lot in seven years. 
I have been to a lot of therapy, a lot of things have happened to me. Like I am a very different person now than I was seven years ago. Mm -hmm. And there are just a myriad of moments in this show where somebody put something into the story that then when I heard it read out loud or I heard it come together, you know, as the in production or in post-production, I would go, oh my God, that's me. And that was probably one of the most incredibly special things that's ever happened to me in my creative life mm -hmm. is like having this process where I am growing and changing as a person and I'm showing up in my process with all of these other people and all of these other creatives and talking about my life and kind of, and like this all happened, you know, also like the fucking pandemic happened. Yeah. So like, I think a lot of us were showing up and being like, oh my God, my whole life has been turned upside down mm -hmm. and bringing a lot of that into this process. And then having people write things or perform things and going, oh my God, you're telling my story back to me yeah. in a way that makes me feel understood, makes me understand myself differently. Mm -hmm. Like, so to that end, I thought I would pull out like one moment that mm -hmm. I think is particularly true of that. That's like in my brain from the fifth season, which is uh, the episode where Marisol and Lily are trying to bail out the basement and they get in this fight about like how they're going to handle the flooding basement and then Chester shows up and they get, get on this whole other thing and then they get to the end of that and then like they haven't really finished having their fight and like all of that and I remember listening to that episode kind of coming back to like every single time I have come back to that episode I have been like this is an episode in which Lily learns a thing that when we started this show, I'm not sure that I knew yet. Mm. That like that lesson in that episode about like trusting people to do hard things with you. Mm -hmm. I'm like, that is a thing that it took me until I was this age <laughs> to kind of like sure. really be able to figure out and, and name. And that, that moment between Marisol and Lily just like it, it just it like breaks me open and puts me back together again at the same time and it's it's really yeah I'm like having goosebumps just like talking about it it's so <laughs> I love it so much yeah yeah Oof. I think for me so um similarly to everything Eleanor just said you know it's been in in a lot happens in seven years especially during a pandemic and um a lot of the last chunk of my life has been about learning to sit with and process and um, incorporate into my life um, death and grief and grieving. And there is a line in um, season five, and I think... I don't want to, I, I don't remember actually which writer wrote this, um, which is actually a, a way I want to underline how good this team was at kind of cross-pollinating and finding each other's strengths and building on each other. But um, David Reinstrom delivers this line as Colin Fenwood, and it's, it's something like, uh, loss is as common as corn. Oh, yeah. 
And this understanding that um, the thing that you are going through is the most tectonically terrifying, destabilizing, um, seismic event that has ever happened in your life. And also that just about every single human being will experience it or has experienced it. And, um, and that neither of those things take away from each other. Um, you know, the idea that like, I think maybe this is a, a manifestation of American exceptionalism or something, but like, um, something can be incredibly important and, uh, life altering. And also it can be something that every single person in the world yeah, like, like has gone through. Just like intrinsically human. Yeah. 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 And I think, I think, you know, I certainly at different points in my life had, had this idea that like, if, if, if I'm feeling a big feeling about this, it means that no one has ever felt this way. Yeah. I mean, that's such a like teenage way of experiencing love, um, or, you know, any other intense emotion. But also grief. But also like, grief, yeah. I mean, which is a piece of love, turns yeah, out. Yeah. Um, but you no, know, no, that that like um something doesn't have to be unique or um exceptional in the way that like no one else has experienced this for it to be important. But also that thing of like it um it it also like is the worst thing. You are the only person to feel that feeling. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that, that, that no, also kind of gets to be true. Like mm -hmm. that, like my experience of grief is not a thing that anyone else will ever feel. And yeah. so like, it is both things at the same time. And I, yeah, I think there's a lot of that inside of our story. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh Ooh. yeah. That's a good line. Yeah. Oh, all right, Jeffrey, I put this one in here for you. Okay. Marissa asks, is there a moment in Unwell that made you cry the hardest? And I'm focusing this one on you because my answer was like, I cried all the fucking time. I, I don't think I like I can't isolate one specifically uh -huh. because like I am a crybaby and I cried all the time. But <laughs> so uh, listener, I also cry all the time. I am a big crier. Um, basically every live show, like theater show I've been to, I've cried at some point. Um, uh, gosh. Okay. So the moment, okay. Two moments that, um, uh, Clarissa who played Lily just broke my heart open and left it on the floor in 411, um, when Rudy drowns. And she screams, Rudy, mm. um, which I designed that episode and I had to listen to that a whole bunch. <laughs> uh, and that was a really, um, it was a really interesting episode to design because there was a lot of really concrete stuff that we had to communicate through sound um, about the flood and how the water was behaving and how big of mm -hmm. a, a thing this was. And also the actors were doing such subtle, 
beautiful work that um, it was really, I really needed to stay out of their way. Yeah, um, yeah. And I knew that director Jeffrey would listen to this and go like, okay, too much noise. Like, I want to hear the actors. Um, so that moment. Um, and then um, Michael and Clarissa at the end of 511. Um, How dare you? When Wes appears and Lily chokes out mm-hmm. Wes's name and uh, Wes says, I thought you were supposed to be, I thought this was supposed to be a good thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that whole conversation was so, so powerful. Um, and And that whole section of... Um, I re- I mean, I remember when in the writer's room, when we were searching around for like, what, what is the thing that allows the entity to, to, um, to disconnect and to like be okay here. And someone said, oh, is it, is it just that they need to rest? Yeah. And in that moment, hearing like permission to rest and, and then recording it hearing Clarissa as Lily tell each of these ghosts that we had seen um to give them permission to rest was just so deeply oh yeah tears tears every time I honestly I also think that moment in part really hits me because so Jeffrey, you and I work together very closely, mm-hmm. and we've been through a lot over the last, you know, ever <laughs> met to see earlier evidence pandemic. Um, and I feel like it's a thing that you and I have really reached for in our working relationship over the mm-hmm. last few years as a touchstone of like, you are allowed to rest. Yeah. And it's a thing we kind of, I feel like, have said back and forth to each mm-hmm. other a lot over the last couple of years. Like, yeah. You are allowed to not be working sometimes. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's the thing you need. Yeah. To be able to come back to work and be good at work. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and this is like we are <laughs> we are both people who take our work, both art and the way the the kind of business around art making very, very seriously. Yeah. Um and there there have been times over these years where we've had to say like um yeah like yes you could burn for six more hours here uh but but instead no you need to rest and come back yeah. to this and yeah. we will solve the problems later or we will or we will we'll, carry it without you for a minute yeah 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 um and that's uh, that's been a huge, certainly a huge learning for me. Yeah. Um, and so to have it reflected in the art in that way was really powerful. Yeah. All right. I got another one. Mm-hmm. Taylor asks, what was the significance of the witch's altar and the stories that Joey told about the witch king? Oh, you want to... You want to take a crack at that? Yeah, I mean, I think the simplest answer is that uh, they were true. So we t- we 
part of how we built the history of Mount Absalom is that the entity has always been there. Mm-hmm. And that over the course of, you know, this very long history of the land, there are recurring moments where something goes wrong. And when the th- when things go wrong, the entity finds itself either lashing out or grieving or, you know, expressing in these ways that are more dangerous. And so in a much simpler way, I think this is a fun reveal to share. Um, a lot of people have noticed that the year 1996 shows up a lot mm-hmm. in the show. Uh, 1996 is a, we established the last time this happened mm-hmm. prior to our story starting. Sure. Um, it is the year that Colin dies. Uh, no, not Colin. Grant. Grant. Uncle Grant. Tim. Grant. Yeah. 1996 is the year that Uncle Grant dies and Dot comes to take over the boarding house. Mm-hmm. And so that is the last time that there was some big upheaval and there's all these like little clues that like things were weird. Those the last time there was a fire yep. in Mount Absalom. It's the year the squirrels infested the library. Like, there's right. all kinds of weird uh-huh. shit that comes up. Anyway, but the stories that Joey is telling about the witch's altar are rooted in truth about a moment in time when Silas had entered the town mm-hmm. and was killing people and scary things happened. Mm-hmm. And this sort of long tale of there are moments where the entity is not a benevolent force. Yeah. Um, and that sometimes it can be really scary and dangerous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, you know, several of the ghosts are the figments are more kind of concretely attached to um to certain emotions for us as we're as we're creating um you know uh wes to the entity's protective instinct uh but silas um as the kind of um honestly a different kind of protective instinct this is the um the the kind of trauma response of um something something has hurt me or something is dangerous or scary and so I'm going to lash out and destroy it a kind of protective um personality that that is used to shield and hold trauma so that the entity doesn't have to yeah All right, so Ellie asks, my cat's getting into something. Okay, Ellie asks, did you have art or concrete descriptions of the characters for use amongst yourselves? Or did everybody have a different mental picture of each character? So I think this is an interesting question because Mm -hmm. it also sort of gets into like how we, some of how we built these characters. So... But, like, the simple answer is no. Yeah. We did not have, like, an established, these are what these people look like amongst the writing team. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, and I also felt like I I wanted to answer this because I was like, man, I think the honest answer for me personally is that by the time we got, you know, into season two, they look like the actors in my head. Yeah, absolutely. That it's like, at some point, it's like, well, Josh is just, that's who Rudy is. In the way that, like... 
it makes sense to try to write to who this human is who's playing the role. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you think you're going to be able to hear that little thump of the cat <laughs> oh, leaping and, and, and falling down on the floor? Um, yeah, and I think, so like there are some, you know, exceptions, but th- mm-hmm. when it gets into the specifics, it's either in the text or they look like the actors in my head. Yeah, yeah. Interestingly, the character that I feel like we end up describing the most is Silas. Yeah. And uh, that is the character who looks the most different from the voice actor. <laughs> yeah. He, um, he doesn't look anything like Silas IRL. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, but like Silas ends up getting a lot of physical description. Um, whereas, yeah, there are certainly hints to other characters, especially in how they dress. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, yeah, less so. Yeah. This brings me to my whole collection of questions about Rudy, Nora, and the observatory. Okay. There's a bunch of them. So um, the first one is sort of coming at this from, from the side. Taylor asks, why do the different ghosts have different abilities? And does it have to do with their lives? Or was it always a mental block, like the way that Nora is about leaving the observatory? So I think this relates back to something we talked about last time, where about how the entity is building these ghosts or these figments to solve a problem. Mm -hmm. So there is something that is happening and the entity is like, oh, God, I need, uh, how do I solve this? And they reach into their toolbox or their junk drawer or whatever, Mm -hmm. into their collection of memories and go like, what, what might be the solution? You know, what do I have that might help solve this? So it's interesting because we in the writer's room always talked about the figments as each having a purpose or sort of like an assignment. Mm-hmm. But it's not, and it does have to do with their lives from before because the idea is that the the entity is pulling from some memory that makes them think that this might help with this situation. Yeah. Right? Like yeah, Tim, the, the... Tim shows up because Tim knows how to solve this problem. Well, and notably, the 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 entity can't invent anything out of whole cloth. It right. can only use the the things that have already yeah. been. And so they do. I mean, they have different skills and different mm-hmm. kind of pieces of knowledge. But it is generally in the way that the story was built, tied to what is the thing that we're trying to solve. Mm-hmm. Diana asks, "Was Rudy a ghost all along?" Ah, good question. No. No. Uh, Rudy, Rudy, uh, was a human who came, uh, here and then died and was brought back, uh, as a, as a figment in the very end, but, uh, no, was a, was a real live person. All right. Both Mac and Sarah asked really great questions about the telescope, Alpha Centauri, Mm. why the telescope tried to kill Rudy is the entity from space like all I feel like these are all sort of like circling around each other. So like, uh-huh. let's just talk about it. Yeah. What is going on with the observatory? <laughs> so so we talk about the, the the different wells in town. There is the um, the well below the um, Fenwood House. There is the well below the town hall, and there is the well below the observatory. Um. And the well below the, and these these were kind of 
each important places that had to do with something that the entity wanted to accomplish or do. And the for me, Nora and the observatory were about the entity's desire to find something like it. Yeah. It was it was about its longing for community or for to recognize something like itself. And to understand its place in a larger universe. Yeah. And I think we talked in the writer's room about the connection between there being a chapel mm-hmm. and sort of an a, a part of history in which that desire, that reaching out, that looking for something like itself mm-hmm. could be expressed through religion. Yeah. And then in another phase of history, that same sort of desire and emotional need being expressed through science. Yeah. Um, It being the tallest hill, you know, a place where you can look at the stars either aided by a telescope or not, and either tell stories about, um, you know, so many cultures have these really interesting stories based in constellations and stars and what these stars are etc um and and with the observatory it was it, it was a signal being sent out to look for something like it yeah to try to find something like it and um and so nora nora was that reaching out um instinct to like what am i who am i what do i mean so why does the telescope try to kill Rudy? What's up with that? Uh, so that 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 is um, Rudy just literally kind of being in the way of the uh, the signal going out. Yeah. Um, and it went to Alpha Centauri because uh, you know it's the idea of like oh this is a close habitable place so if I'm going to look for Kind if of, I if, am an alien. Yeah, it, 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 it's asking the question, yeah, it, and it's not, I, I don't think it's solving the question, ah, yeah. yes, this is where the entity is from, um, but it is it is saying, like, is this is this what I am? Is this where I'm from? Um, and, and not getting an answer. Yeah, and I think we talked about in that episode where Nora disappears in season five, that part of it is anchored in this in just like a sadness and a grief Mm -hmm. of like, God, I thought this would help. And then it doesn't Mm -hmm. like the entity reaching out in this way and looking for an answer in this way. And then not really getting back something that solves the problem for them. Yeah. 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 And, you know, I think there's a really interesting thing in that, like, I feel like that was one of the more ambiguous pieces of our story. Um, we and 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 we wanted that was on purpose. We wanted to be very careful about how explicitly we answered the question of what's going on with the observatory. And yeah. if you go and listen to it, it's all there. Um, but, but it's that thing we talked about earlier about like. We we always wanted to make sure there was an internal logic mm-hmm. that made sense, but also like, I don't know that it's enormously satisfying to explain that internal logic. I'm like realizing as I'm explaining it, I'm like, I don't know if that's actually that yeah, like, more yeah. fun than, to know. Yeah, I think I think um, 
that, that like, and, th- and this is part of why I think that like these answers should be taken as um, as our interpretation, not necessarily yeah. as a as a gospel truth. So to kind of put a cap on things, mm-hmm. I have a couple of questions that are about future plans. Oh yeah. So a couple of people asked. I'm just gonna kind of group these all together. Will there ever be more unwell? Boy, that's a really interesting question. Um, we certainly don't have any plans. I think to... the answer is very likely no. Yeah. Like, I, I don't want to leave anybody with like, oh my God, maybe it yeah. will. Like, I think the answer is almost certainly no, because we are not actively making plans for that. Mm-hmm. And I think it was, I don't know, it was important to me to... And to have an ending. Yeah, yeah. There, I, I, there is no version of this story that I would be interested in telling. That is the like the, the next, yeah, ten years of, um, of the unwell story, um, and like, do I think you know? I have, I have. There are various you know things that I think would be really interesting to to dive into um you know i would love to read a travel journal of rudy hmm. all of rudy's trips or um you know uh stories from older um caretakers of the fenwood house i'm a nerd and i want to read abby's thesis yeah <laughs> yeah but like i um if if we were to return to this world, it would be because we had a totally new story that, yeah. for some reason, made sense to tell with these tools. Yeah, yeah. And I I don't know if necessarily these tools would set us up for a um for a totally different story. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, I don't I don't feel like a driving need or desire. No, and and I to think do it. So part of the joy of being able to produce on well in the way we did is that we were able to go into it saying, this is going to be a five season story. Yeah. And, and, you know, people, people have asked me so many times, are you sad that Unwell is over? Are you having a lot of, you know, big emotions? And yeah, I had a lot of oh, big emotions. Oh, so many big emotions. <laughs> but, but sad is not right because, you know, a- am I sad that I don't get to spend studio time with this group of actors in the way that we have over the last years. Um, yeah, but, um, but we're going to get to do new stories and, um, in the same way that like, yeah, like the years in undergrad were incredible years in my life. I've been comparing it to a graduation. Yeah. That thing of like, it can be both a little bit sad and really exciting at the same Mm -hmm. time. Yeah. Yeah. But I I don't, I don't want to go and try to redo that because we did that already. And and now we're going to do the next thing. Well, a slightly different spin on this question is, uh, will we be doing anything else together in the future? And I think the answer to that question is very much yes. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's it's worth saying that, like, um, a lot of, you know, several of the artists who were involved in Unwell were involved in Our Fair City and 
as our first city, our last show was wrapping up. Um, there were certainly new new artists came in. Some stayed, some left. Um, new uh, new administrators and 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 people like there was certainly a changing of the guard. Um, but uh, you know, as that pro- uh, project wound down, this one spun up and. Yeah. As, and the same thing is happening. Yeah, now. as as unwell has been spinning down, we have been spinning up the next project projects. Yeah, um, so I mean, we're not going to share any specifics now because we're no. going to hold those cards in our pocket <laughs> for a little longer as we sort out mm-hmm. what those projects want to be. But there are definitely new things coming. Yes, afoot. There there are schemes afoot. Well, and and let me say this: um, you will definitely be hearing. Um, more, more art from the team of Eleanor and I, and we are going to fight like hell uh, to convince as many <laughs> of the incredibly talented people who were part of Unwell as we can to you know cram into new projects, and also the you know the people who are in Well who wrote, who sound designed, who starred in Unwell, um, have incredible projects elsewhere um, elsewhere yeah. in the audio fiction space in the live theater space in television in movies um and so like there will also be lots more from them um All over separately the place, or together yeah. Yeah. um you know i was thinking about that thing you said just a minute ago about like the the joy of being able to tell this story in this way Mm -hmm. and kind of like close it out in the way we wanted to. And I feel like I want to underline a thing that I'm really proud of and that I feel really grateful for, Mm -hmm. which is that like, that is a product in large part of our being an independent production. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and I think this is... (laughs) We've said this in other places and we've talked about this before, but it's such an important thing for me to say over and over and over again, because like, we only really get to do this in this way because people are listening yeah, and love the story and care about it and support it. Mm -hmm. And the fact that we are able to make a show like Unwell and we don't have to convince anyone any great gatekeeper of the entertainment world, whatever that means, um, that it's worth making. Yeah. Really, really practically speaking, that is the reason why we were able to say, we're going to make five seasons of this show. We are committed to making five seasons of this show and it will have a beginning, middle and end in Mm -hmm. those five seasons. And it did, it meant that we did not have to make season one wait for an audience to react to it and then go to a funder and be like, no, really, you should let us make season two. Like we didn't have to do that. Mm -hmm. And I think I continue to feel just incredibly grateful that we can do that in this world today. That like like the, you know, some of it is technological, but a lot of it is just about the community of support and listeners that we have gotten from this show who are excited about it, who tell their friends about it, Mm -hmm. who occasionally show up with some money Mm -hmm. to throw at it. Like all of those things are so important. And I think 
I hope that you listening to me talking about this right now know that like you are part of that and part of what makes this possible. And frankly, is the reason why Jeffrey and I can so like enthusiastically say, hell yes, there will be more shows Mm -hmm. because we know that there are people out there who want to hear them and that will be able to help us find the funds to make them. Yeah. (laughs) And not that every single listener needs to throw money our way. You don't like not every, but, but just knowing that there is an audience out Mm -hmm. there really, really changes how I think about what we can do in the future. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, um, knowing that, um, you know, there, there have been people who, uh, who are listeners who came, uh, you know, all the way from the early days of Our Fair City and are still listening to Unwell now. And there are people who hopped on to Unwell last month and loved it so much that they have just listened to the whole thing and have caught up and are listening to this now. Yeah. And um, knowing that there are people who have listened to the entirety of Unwell once, twice, 15, 20 times through, and that when we make our next show... Um, that you trust us enough to say, ah, I really loved what you did with Unwell. I want to see what you do having learned everything you learned making Unwell and what you do with the next story. Because it won't be the same no. characters, but it's it's going to be a lot of the same people and the same artistic sensibility and the same commitment to telling a story that is important. Yeah. I also want to say that, like, I mean, kind of scaffolding on some of what Eleanor was talking about, I mean, we have both, we also produce audio fiction and audio art and other things in in other non-independent environments and have spent time pitching shows. And um, it's something I'm struck by that, like, you know, we talk about how different Unwell would be if it had to go through the pitching process. And oh yeah, and don't the... get me wrong, like all, the things that I've made that are more commercial, I also love those shows. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of love for those yeah. projects, but they're very different. It's very different. And it's 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 very different to have, you know, we are incredibly critical and uh, thoughtful and precise and, uh, you know, so much gets edited out and developed and but the fact that the people who are doing that are all people who are actively like in the room and kind of inside the project i think allows for a different kind of creation Um, and there are things that we have done time and time again that i look at and go Oh no one would no one else would let us get away with that. Yeah, yeah. The, the big big swings we take, mm-hmm. big risks we take. Yeah. That you know a lot of them work. Occasionally mm-hmm. I think maybe they don't. Yeah. But like uh-huh. but like for the most part we've gotten to do this really cool wild piece of storytelling mm-hmm. with some really crazy yeah. <laughs> shit in it. Like and, Sparkle Crinkles. Uh-huh, like nobody yeah. else would have let us do that. Let's be real. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There are so many pieces of, of this story that like, yeah, just wouldn't it 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 wouldn't have made it, but because we were that because we we knew that the audience would 
trust us and and look there are also you know I know there are people who are like, this is too much of a slow burn for me. This is, I don't like, you know, how these characters work, so I'm not going to go oh, on. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. I'm just assuming those people haven't stayed this long to, in this conversation. Yeah, yeah I'm sure but they're like, not listening to right. this. But, but when like, I think about this, like, professionally across the, you know, space, I'm like, yes, I also this show isn't for everyone. And, that's, yeah. and that can be okay, too. And, like, if yeah. you're still listening, if you're listening to the second AMA episode at the end <laughs> right. of five seasons, like... <laughs> Hey, guess what? You that I'm talking to in the headphones, you are exactly the person that, that we, we made, made this, this show for. for. Yeah. And, and I'm so glad it found you. And um, and I hope if the next show we make is also for you, it, it that that you like it. And and, and also if it's along. not, that's also fine. Yeah. And we hope it finds the the people who it is for. Um, so, you know, thank you for coming on this journey with yeah. us. Um, I feel so lucky. Yeah, because it's it's you know it's it's such a joy to be able to make art that isn't aiming for everyone but it is you know aiming for very specifically you and you deserve it jeffrey i don't have any more questions but i i um i'm having trouble wrapping this up because i'm like i just love sitting here talking to you about stuff <sighs> but i guess we don't always have to do that on mic yeah true true <laughs> I think the way to wrap it up is is yeah just to say thank you again yeah to to each of you listening um, because it it has been such an enormous privilege to get um, to do this and to have um, people who support us and listen and fund it and uh, yell about it on the internet um, and the fact that like yeah we've gotten to spend the last seven years of our life making this show um, is just it really so changed lucky. my life. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Me too. Yeah. Well, thank you, Jeffrey. Thank you, Eleanor. And uh, we'll listeners, we'll, we'll see you next time. We'll see you soon. Bye. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. In the year 1889, there was nowhere in the world more exciting than London, England. Three cheers for Inspector Lestrade and the bad boys of Baker Street themselves, Sherlock Holmes and Dr. John Watson! Solved! By Sherlock Bloody Holmes of 221 B Baker Street. Well, with any luck, we'll get a new brutal murder any day now. God, I wish. It's truly shocking you haven't solved anything in five years. The boys are both out of town for some case about a dog in Dartmoor this weekend. Sincerely, Martha Hudson. London's number two detective team just became number one. Fox and Stallion. Find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Tumblr at 224bbaker or on our website, 224bbaker.com. It's like they say, big breaks are 90% luck. 
What's the other 10%? Luck. <laughs>